Welcome to Canada's Podcast. Canada's Podcast, the number one podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. Hello, this is Angela Fay from Canada's Podcast. I'm here today with Peter Isido. And Peter has just completed a two-year turnaround in the operation of Canada's largest mortgage brokerage, the Mortgage Alliance Company of Canada. And prior to that, he's probably most famous for being a founding member of Tangerine, formerly ING Direct. So we are privileged to have this duo citizen, Canadian-American, here on this podcast with us today, talking about um, how he helped transform ING Direct and to Canada's most preferred everyday bank, ultimately leading to the 2012 $3.1 billion acquisition of ING by Scotiabank. Right now, Peter himself is currently focused on reversing the epidemic of quiet quitting through caring and compassionate leadership. So today we are screwing the status quo and adopting Weology <laughs> as a number one innovation strategy. Welcome, Peter. Yeah, thank you so much. Oh, sorry, I was just getting uh, I was getting my copy for you. Um, yeah, what a great introduction, Angela. It's an honor uh, to be here, and I, I really look forward to our conversation, and I hope Canada's podcast uh, listeners enjoy it too. Okay, awesome. So first of all, quick shout out to Xander, uh, a colleague of mine who said, as I was talking to him about corporate culture and what I think a lot of companies should adopt in the future, he said, and you should read Weology by Peter, which has led to this amazing connection. So thank you, Xander. Tell me a bit, a little bit more. What is Weology? The concept, the machine, the humans, and click. Yes, I I would love to because I'm very excited about the topic. Even though this book was was written eight years ago, but I think it's it's very very relevant today. So it was written in the I was the president and CEO of ING Direct, which as you rightfully pointed out, after Scotia bought us, we renamed to Tangerine, and there was an opportunity um to write a book and share uh sort of the in internal philosophies of tangerine and more in particular uh, as it relates to leadership so it really is a book about the leadership style that i learned over my two decades actually 21 years with ing direct canada the us back in canada and which was launched all around the world and i think it's a bunch of lessons i've learned about leadership as well as observing other great leaders um, and my goal, uh, A, was to share a little bit with people about the inner workings of how a company like this works that's nice. been so transformative and so successful, but also uh, as a guide for, you know, the hopefully the way leaders will lead in the future. And it's organized in a few sections. There's hundreds of stories that I've personally either experienced or I've, I've been exposed to. And I think the core of the book and the message is really this, which is the core to success is people, right? And the highest, best use of a leader is to help inspire and guide and help people grow so that they can be the best that they can be. And if we comes before me, meaning uh, the team before my own personal needs, that we all win together. And I think that's the lessons I've learned in my uh, years in leadership. Awesome. And can you, I mean, that's broken. I know the book, um, I haven't read it cover to cover, but it's coming. Uh, the concept, the machine, the humans, what is click? Can you explain so click, click is really like, you know, when you, when you listen to the concept and then you 
learn a little bit about how weology works inside of an organization. And then you focus a little bit on the people side of things. And for me, when you put all those things together, click, you know, it's like the conclusion. And, you know, when you have that moment where, so it's funny when I was, you know, writing it, I, I wrote stories and stories and lessons learned. And when you organize them and put them all together, for me, there was a click. And the click led to the title of Weology. So for me, click is really the conclusion. When you get all the pieces, you put them together, a light bulb goes off where uh, I get this leadership style and how it leads to the individual success, the team success, the stakeholder success. And um, yeah, really the story of, of Tangerine and other companies like it. Well, and I, I, I mean, I kind of, you know, said the the finale, which is the takeover and the successes is is very much, uh, it speaks for itself. But talking about, okay, I love the idea. We read the book, we, we adopt the philosophy. Um, what do you do on Monday, right? What are your favorite ideas and stories that you've seen Weology work <laughs> over and above the status quo of everybody in it for itself? What, what are the favorite, what are your favorite stories? Uh, well, there's a lot of them over a long period of time, and it'd be hard to implement them all on Monday. Um, but that's a great segue, actually, into probably not one of the ones I would have brought uh, to the to the forefront. But certainly, one thing I've learned, I think it's common among all leaders, and it's common among all organizations. Um, no, we can't do them all on Monday because organizations can't, you know, depending on your organization and people, I mean, it's hard to do 10 things well on Monday. So we have to focus. And one thing I learned is when we were very focused on a customer and we were focused on one product and one experience, how easy it was to do a really good job. And then when you started adding other focuses and products and things like that, that's where you start to learn the limitations of how much change an individual and a company can undertake at one time. So I'd say that's one really important lesson, which is uh, leaders and senior teams need to be very, very thoughtful about how much change an organization can handle and doing one or two or three things great and prioritizing them. You know, you said when we started, screw the status quo, and it is, um, you know, maybe a little kind of a little more punchy in the face than I than I am, but. I do stand by it, which is, you know, here, this is the lesson about asking why or why not. We were trying to be a challenge, a global challenger, and definitely a challenger here in Canada in a sector that's been around in Canada for over 150 years. Uh, the only way we were going to differentiate ourselves was to be different, but it's regulated, right? So yes. you, you, you have to maintain and comply with the spirit of the rules. So asking questions like, why do we do it that way? Why can't we do it this way? Um, when you ask the question is, why do we do it this way? And the answer is, well, because we've always done it that way. Right. When I hear that answer, I go, ah, cringe, there's cringe. an opportunity right there. So uh, fortunately for me, I had the privilege of being a lawyer early in my career. So I really understood the rules and regulations with regards to banking and compliance. So I could really challenge well, we've always done it this way and say, well, why don't you bring me the rule that says I have to do it that way. And then we could find ways to be compliant with the rules and the laws, but still uh, be different and, and innovative. Um, I think another important lesson I learned is around um, 
is is around culture, right? And you know, if you build a culture of people uh, who care about their clients, they care about each other, and they really want to have a positive impact on people's lives. In our case, it was to help our clients live a healthier financial life by helping them take control of their money and their and their finances. Um, that if you really do build a culture uh, that has momentum, your competitor really cannot copy you. It's almost impossible for them to do it. And that culture um, is in itself a competitive advantage. Um, and maybe the last story I'll share with you now, because I don't want to go on and on and you know read the whole book to you. There's a section in there called Love the Haters. And I think, you know, for me, that's about how people who are critical of your business. So those nasty people who are like, this is not done well, or this is poor, or this fee's not right, or you say this here and you say that there, you know, we we tend to, you know, just try and tamp those things down. But those people can be so radically important to helping you improve your business. And we had a mechanism to listen to those people um, and be able to very, in a very agile way, make those types of changes. And one thing I learned that if a hater if the CEO or senior leader actually calls them, um, they're not as mean anymore. Um, and if you make the change that they ask for, which they never believe that you would listen to them, a hater can become an evangelist very, very quickly. And That's I think we built an army of evangelists who started as haters because we took their advice, we listened, we fixed it, we thanked them and uh, blew people's minds. So uh, those are a, a handful of stories, I think. I love those stories. I would like to elaborate on one a little bit. Um, the love the haters is, is pretty clear to me. The one that I'd like to elaborate on a little bit, and because part of it is I'm working with a startup right now where the the core of big vision is super clear. The piece that's missing for me in this environment is the why. And because and the second piece of that, the, the missing why sometimes can be a problem, but the also the what we're talking from a leadership perspective, but I also want to acknowledge from the from the ground up, the employees on the ground, what what lesson can they take from that from that? We can't do everything on Monday scenario, right? That I mean, there's probably patience, there's probably, you know, some some states of being that they can adopt in there. So what what not so much advice, but what would you love to share with all of the doers on the ground that are help you enact a really big vision? Yeah. So yeah, I think there's two things I wouldn't mind pulling out of what you just said. You know, one is you talked a little bit about the why, you know, like for me, a synonym, a synonym is like sort of your purpose. Yes. And uh, we, we all talk about that. And Simon Sinek put it at the front of our our brains and I'm obviously uh, quite a big fan of his, but I think uh, the purpose of an organization and the why is absolutely critical and fundamental. Um, why is that? Well, you know, you could have 25 people in your organization you could have 2,500 people in your organization. To be very honest with you now more than ever, people work independently. Sure, they work in teams, there's meetings, but there's so much of the day where we have to do work on our own and we have choices that we have to make. And um, if you have a very clear purpose or a very clear why that really is clear about the direction, it helps 
uh, when we're making difficult decisions as a team or when I have to make an indecision uh, decision as an individual to move forward, if there's a clear why, if there's a clear purpose, it can really, really help um, me make those decisions on my own and not need to get too much clarity and all that type of stuff. So a purpose and a why is important. And I think no matter what you do, you know, if you make tires, if you make parts of a car, if you uh, provide you know, if you provide clothes, whatever you do, I do think collaborating with employees, fi finding out the difference that you're making in people's lives that you can galvanize around to make sure that you do it with quality and with customer focus. I think everyone can find their why and their purpose, no matter what they do. We're not all pharmaceutical companies who are saving people, you know, from disease, but I think we all have an impact on people's lives. So I think that's important. Now you're right. You know, you got those armies, uh, that army of doers, people who love getting things done. I mean, you'd love to have those people on your team. Um, I think one of the biggest challenges for leaders and leadership teams is prioritizing work. And, you know, uh, there's 25 great ideas and great projects. You only have the capacity to do five of them. How is it that you go about making that decision? Um, how is it that you go about communicating why it is that you made that decision? So the answer to your question for me here is my leadership philosophy has always been around transparency, meaning I try and share as much about the business as I possibly can with our employees. You know, what are our, what's our focus? What is our priorities? What are, what are our short-term, medium, long-term priorities and how they fit with our strategy? When we make a decision to not proceed with project A, even though it was really good, we have to explain why? So at least people, they may be disappointed. They maybe worked really hard on that initiative, um, but they, in their head, they should at least understand why another project won versus theirs and that there's plenty of, of opportunity. And then hopefully that project will get done in the future. But I think that discipline around transparency, that discipline around prioritization and the discipline around communication um, is the way to handle sort of more of those difficult situations. I love it. Well, and you actually alluded to, um, you know, people having to do a lot on their own and they're juggling a lot of things. I actually think in this post COVID era, there's also been a bit of a reset for people as far as what their personal priorities are, which is I think why I've, I'm kind of emphasizing the, the why being so important, but uh, you talk about quiet quitting and, you know, and wanting to stop that, put a, put a stop gap on that. Can you explain a little bit about what it means and, um, you know, what are maybe two or three key tactics to stop it from happening? Yeah. I mean, if you want to talk about sort of falling into a, uh, a personal purpose, you know, and cer certainly my, my wife and I, my family and I have our own sort of goals and purposes and things that we really, really care about. But, you know, when these global reports came out that says 59% of global employees are quiet quitting and that quiet quitting is mm. people are frustrated. They're a little sick and tired with being taken advantage of. They've been working way too hard and have not been appreciated. So I'm going to I'm going to do the absolute bare minimum in my role and I'm going to find fulfillment at other parts of my life. And, you know, when I when when I became aware of this this word, I mean, it, it's not a new concept. You know, we used to call it employee engagement or employee disengagement, right? right. And um, so for me, the idea, you know, being someone who's worked with hundreds, thousands of people 
who are so proud of the impact that we had on our communities, so proud of the impact that we had on our clients' lives, so proud of the things we were able to do together. Um, you know, they're not, you know, we, 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 we've gotten married. We, some of us have had kids and have had successes in other ways too. I mean, life is, is balanced in that regard, but the idea of people going to work um, and doing the absolute minimum and not taking advantage of the opportunity to learn and grow and build relationships and, and build things that they're, will remember for their whole lives for me is, is very sad. Right. So, um, I have been sharing lots of thoughts, you know, on my, um, just on my LinkedIn page, um, because, um, I think leadership needs to be, there's a reason why people have reacted this way. Um, I've spoken to hundreds of people about this or interacted with them on LinkedIn or various channels. People feel taken advantage of, they feel that their companies have profited very well, that they haven't been recognized, that they are cutting down uh, on jobs and making people do more and they're not paying them more. And so there's a real legitimate reason why people feel that they need to quite quit. But I, I, I think leadership needs to be better. And I think uh, employees are missing something, a, a real yeah. opportunity in life if they give up on their jobs. Well, and I, I, I'm adding to what you've said by some of the undercurrents that I've heard in, in many different interviews and, and uh, work scenarios is not only is there a transactional, um, you know, uh, experience that happens day to day with most with companies or what you do in your work, there needs to be two more layers. One is the creative, right? The idea <clears throat> to create something um, and use that, that other part of your brain, which is a creative piece. And the, and the third is transformational. And again, that that's the connection back to why for me is, um, you know, if you can tap into, okay, a certain amount of your work is transactional. There must be a little bit of room creative and a little bit of room for transformational. You know, if you are growing and learning and feeling like you're contributing bigger value, whether it's to your workplace or your community or the people that you're impacting, those to me are the other two pieces that that leadership can almost need to create the space for people to tap into. What what are your thoughts on that? Oh, I think so. Uh, sir, my views and my philosophy are from observations and discussions, and so you adding on and adding on to my thoughts is, is that's how you collaborate and create great things that are better and better and better. Um, I completely agree. In fact, I just did a short video yesterday on LinkedIn, uh, just about some of the common attributes I've noticed of all the people I've hired and some of the ones who've been successful. And one of them is, you know, you talked about, well, you talked about transformation, transformational, and, you know, kind of what I was talking about was a little bit about learning. And, you know, these people have this, and I do, um, have this just innate desire to learn and learn and learn. Yes. We appreciate that. We don't know everything and we want to learn more and we find the process of learning alone to be exciting and invigorating. And I can tell you in my career, uh, you know, one of the reasons why I have this perspective on leadership is, you know, when I was 27 years old, um, the founding CEO of ING Direct in Canada, I begged him for a job. Uh, my resume did not support him giving me a job and he did give me a job. And I spent, you know, two decades trying not to let the guy down you know, because he wow. gave me an opportunity that my resume didn't support. 
And I learned as much as I could. I sucked as much in as I possibly could and, and, and those types of things. So kind of paying it forward because I see that you know, people who really, really do relish that they have that creativity, they want to transform and, and learn. If you give them the space and you give them the opportunity maybe to take a job that learning is the only way they're going to be able to be successful or they get to work on a project that will greatly expand their knowledge or ability in a particular area where they have a weakness. Um, it really is, I think, one great way to help people be engaged at work. I, I love your perspective, which is there are transactional things about work that it's just the way it is. And <laughs> none of us like that part, but we have to do it as long as there's these other pieces where we can use those other parts of our brain and we're growing. I think there's a real opportunity for people to not give up on their job and try and do the minimum and, uh, and love their work and love their teammates and love serving their clients. And so we have some, some ideas for both the, the doers on the ground, but also the leaders here about how to, how to overcome quiet quitting. So let's go to one more question. And I love this. It, again, it, it was a pop out in the book for me on collaboration was kind of the theme, but the, the quote is, if you think innovation is about <laughs> technology, you're excluding 50% of the room to innovate, you must collaborate. Can you tell us more about that? What are your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that came from observing it with my own eyes. I will tell you that um, you know, I, I do some advisory and consulting uh, work uh, today. It's uh, it's work I love. I love to help. Although for me, I kind of like to the, execute those strategies too, which is yes. kind of why I'm looking not to consult, but to you know actually you know lead teams and and, and that. But this this question about technology, uh, particularly in financial services, is still one that I get asked about all the time. So, you know, for me, uh, so at ING Direct, uh, Tangerine. Technology was something we referred to as a core competency of ours. So that was something that we, it was a real uh, competency that we had right from the beginning that diver differentiated us from our, our competitors. But technology is an enabler. Technology allows things to happen, you know, whether it's a process uh, like processing a payment or processing a check or you know, underwriting a mortgage, or whether it's an experience, like for an employee about how they log in or how efficiently they do their work or a call center agent and how they can support an agent. Do they have what they need? Or of course, the client, right? And their experience in a retail location or on the web or, or on a mobile device, right? So technology is just an enabler of that. So to use technology effectively, you need to really understand the stakeholder you're serving. You need to know this before you choose the tech you're gonna use and how it is that you wanna implement it. So in the room, you need to have you know, your client, right? And you need to understand their lives so that you can figure out how to enhance it with technology. You need your employees who are serving those clients in the room, right? So you understand the struggles they're going through to provide this service that they really want to. Um, you need your operations people in the room because they're the ones who have to go sort of make it happen after sort of some choice is made, whether it's to sign up or open a new account or buy a product. You need your marketing people in the room because they're the ones making the promise in the world that yeah. <laughs> you need to deliver on after. Yes. Um, and you need your risk people and your, and your legal people. So in the end of the day, when you're, I think you need to understand who the end user is. 
um, and the different pieces of the process to truly make technology come to life and really create a differentiated experience. So if you only have the tech people in the room, you're missing, I think, some of the most important bits of information. So I, that is a perfect segue into one more question. Canada's podcast, the number one podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. So the segue is, you know, it's, it's pretty status quo to just have, you know, the internal management team, but you talked about involving maybe customers, you know, people on the ground, uh, maybe, a, you know, some people call it a test group or whatever. How do you do that on a regular basis in, in business, Peter? Uh, listen, I, it, it's a non-starter. Uh, I mean, we, everywhere I've gone, uh, we have had, and listen, most of this was founded, you know, in our, my ING Direct and Tangerine days is we had a client advisory board. So we had a group of volunteer clients who we had regular ac access to. We would meet on a quarterly basis. Um, they were a representative sample of our client base. Uh, they volunteered. They wanted to be a part of it. And um, we interacted with them about the role they want a bank to play in their lives, what we were doing well, we, we weren't doing well, um, how we could help them with some of their challenges in life. And I think that really, for us, informed the products that we launched, the experiences uh, that we launched. Um, we had our senior executives, because we were direct, uh, so we were call center, mobile, web, we had some physical locations as well, but all of our executives had to uh, sit in the call center and hijack with, um, with call center associates. They needed to do one hour a month. It's not asking very much um, because they needed to understand yeah. um, uh, our, for our service people and what their challenges were. And they needed to understand uh, the clients. And we even tried to get people to actually serve our clients uh, that way as well. Uh, and then we had events in our regional locations as well. So I think it's absolutely paramount and fundamental that we stay close to our customers. You have to do it by segment because customers are generally quite diverse. Right. And uh, I think you get a lot from that. And I think it's absolutely sustainable. It doesn't even have to be overly expensive um, as well. And then, of course, you need to do that internally, right? Talk to your employees as well so that you make sure you understand what their experience is. Awesome. I, I love that. And, and again, I'm adding to, I'm part of a, a sort of global business networking group called Open EXO and our why is transforming the world for a, for a better future. And when you know that you're in a group and that is our collective why, it's super sticky, right? Like we know, okay, everybody already has that mindset and that state of being when you're entering it. Um, and they have like an ambassador's program. So it's, it, it's kind of the same thing. You talked about the client, you know, group. This one is, listen, we, we, our job as the ambassadors is to live and breathe the brand. So, you know, understand the internal workings, the why, the how, what are all the functionalities of the group? And we earn our way into some of the offers, right? So we can do a certain amount of work, um, work being spread the word, whatever, however they're guiding us, whatever they need from the ambassadors is, is how we earn our quote unquote points. And it's, it's actually a lot of the points are just digitization of, you know, tokens that we can then use within the community for expert advice. Uh, we can get uh, all kinds of interesting things along the way. So it's another strategy. Um, but to me, it's, it breeds that 
innovation, right? It, yeah, it, that's a great story. Actually, one I will footnote you, of course, but I will use, you know, in my two years with Mortgage Alliance, uh, you know, trying to trying to help those uh People, we actually introduced uh, a similar program. We called, we called it an ambassador program too. So our most engaged brokers um, had the ability to be our ambassadors, and what we asked for them, and there was like reward for it. And you know what we asked of them to do was a couple things. One is you know represent our brand out in the public domain and represent you know who we are and speaking engagements or whatever the case may be, or if we were recruiting agents that we could use them as a referral source, hey, you know, go talk to them. And then maybe more importantly, just based on the challenges that we were facing at the time, which was to use, um, uh, so we had a loan origination system that was proprietary and uh, to test it for us, you know, and actually run files through it and give us feedback and and, and those those types of things. So uh, I, I just think it just needs to be a part of the way decisions are made um, if companies want to be successful in the future. And and again, like there's always that that personality that wants to be the early adopter, wants to say they tried it first, right? And said, hey, <laughs> so exactly. um, one, one thing I want to... Uh, talk about just briefly is again the concept of weology how it helps individuals we've we've really sort of talked on business leadership but i do believe that it can also help individuals and communities right in in your own you know your own nest whether it's at home or at a community community level how can you imagine the concept of weology to apply for individuals and communities um uh, easily and that's kind of like the click part that you know you sort of mentioned you mentioned before right which is um you've uh you've got this company with this purpose that really wants to help people and listen maybe it's ing director tangerine or maybe it's something else you know it could be whatever business whoever's listening right i think i think this is very relevant to and if you have a purpose and a why and you've sort of built a culture that is really really supportive of it um uh that uh there's a real opportunity in in the in that framework for uh employees to thrive right to uh, be more empowered because they have the guidance and clarity about what they need to do. Listen, if you're, if whatever you do in the choice of your day, if, if it's supporting our clients, if it's, if it's supporting our community or our, our environment, um, you know, if you're, if you're doing those things, then your manager is never going to get upset with you because you were, you were sort of driving those priorities, you know, forward for the organization. So, Instead of leadership that says, here's your 10 things that you need to do today, do these 10 things. And when you're done, go home or log off. Um, we always had a little more, we always had a fair bit more flexibility where certainly there were some transactional things that absolutely needed to get done, but there was always room, you know, to explore a new idea or work on a project or initiative you were interested in, or, you know, volunteer to, you know, uh, so there was a lot of autonomy and ability for the individual to get what they wanted. Um, so it wasn't overly regimented. Of course, they still need to do what they needed to do. Um, also, it was our employees who very much decided how we were gonna give back to the community. What are the causes that they care about? And of course, those would always be motivated by people's personal stories. You know, people who had their own problems or only issues in their community. And we rallied 
our our people and our money together to support them. So the click for me is, you know, if you have a purpose and you have a why, and uh, you have leaders that understand the individuality of the person and there's trust. So the individual knows that if they put the extra effort in and they learn that we're going to have their back, it creates this sort of circle of success, you know, where you get momentum, it builds on each other. People want to be a part of it. You're helping more clients, your, your individual people are growing and it just sort of perpetuates very much. I must say I'm a product of that. I, you know, I was given an opportunity uh, to take on a job that was better than maybe my resume supported. And I, I felt very supported by the community that was around me and it allowed me to continue to grow and be successful. And who knows where that goes. Amazing. Well, I want to hear a shout out to um, that guy that hired you a long time ago, because I think the the financial industry is a better place because of your leadership. So let's just take that, take that, uh, take that to the next level. What do you have a vision specifically for Canada's financial industry? Um, I do like, that's a very easy question. And I'd say, you know, my time at ING Direct and Tangerine, I think we only got part of the way to what's possible. Um, listen, my view is our financial institutions, particularly in the, in Canada, you know, we have the resources to be a force for good in Canadians lives, right? Uh, our, our banks here, uh, all financial institutions, we need to be profitable. There's no doubt about that, how important that is, right? But they can also, I think, do more to help Canadians live healthy lives, healthy financial lives, but healthy lives in general. And our, our financial institutions in Canada, they're very involved in communities. They give tons of money and tons of time to their communities. But I really think there's more we can do to solve more critical issues facing Canadians more broadly. You know, access to the financial system, living healthy financial lives, increasing financial literacy, reducing the debt load, increasing their savings and investments. I, I definitely think that there's, they have the capital, they have the smartest people in the country that work for them. They have the data and information, right? Uh, they have a global perspective. I think really to help Canadian families um, and Canadian businesses solve the problems that they face every day. So um, I know that uh, it maybe it could sound, I think they can still be very, very profitable and help solve these problems in a, in a little bit, a little bit more than they are today. They're protected in this country a little bit. You know, there's not as much competition in this country as there is in the UK or as there is in the United States. And I think because of that, we have a very safe system, but it's more expensive for our um, for for Canadians. And I think in return for that, we need to help them be healthier financially, and which is a direct correlation to being happy. It it, it absolutely is. And there's one thing in there that um, I personally is a bit of a um, personal goal is reducing debt load. I think there's like debt is not just a, a a budget line item it's like a weight as i see it right that i i think increasing capital and access to great health abundance things like that is um something that to me is is in the foreseeable future certainly within my kids you know possibilities and uh is i'm curious what your thoughts are on are are there any locations in Canada that are a bit of the hub for where innovation is happening in the finance industry? 
Um, yeah, it's a good question. Um, I mean, listen, the, I was very involved in the financial technology space uh, in Canada, and very, a lot of it's here in Ontario, whether that's, uh, you know, in Waterloo, uh, or it's here in Toronto. There's also tons of, of stuff happening in, uh, in British Columbia and in, Van, in, in Vancouver. Um, I, uh, um, my, our kid, we have three kids. So I have a 21 year old, a 19 year old and an, and a 17 year old. And, you know, they're one's in grade 12, the other two are away in university. So my wife and I are very interested in, um, and we're actually exploring an opportunity right now, uh, that could land us in Vancouver. And I would love to make that my, uh, my first home as well. So I think in Canada, there's, you know, Ottawa's always, always been a, a, te a tech hub as well. So I think there's some really good things happening here in Canada. Awesome. Well, and there's no secret. I've, I've, a Canadian, I've lived in Newfoundland, Nova Scotia, Alberta, BC. I'm out on the West coast right now. So and the, and the BC host. So uh, we're, I'm always recruiting great talent to BC whenever possible. So hopefully we'll, we'll be able to have coffee live in person one day soon. Um, I would love that. Okay. So I just want to get vulnerable just for a moment and let's, let's, let's just put it on the table. Are there any decisions that you've made in the past that seemed like a mistake? Do you still consider them mistakes? If not, why not? But what have you learned from them? Yeah, you know, I, I I think there's no doubt in my life, whether it's personal life or business life, there have been some decisions that I should say that they felt like mistakes at the time, and uh, and maybe at the time I I wish that they they didn't happen. I think for me, there's you know one that just totally stands out. You know, I spent 21 years of my life with ING Direct and Tangerine and Scotiabank and. I spent some time in, you know, being an entrepreneur, sort of in the financial technology space. Uh, but uh, I was I was invited uh, to be the CEO of a medical cannabis company, and and for me, um, it was very exciting for two reasons. Uh, one is to be a financial services person and get to go over into healthcare and you know, with medical cannabis and be a part of something that was going to help people's lives and. I did what you'd expect I would do while I was there, which is go in the call center and listen to the impact, you know, this was having positive impact this was having on people's lives. Uh, the other one too is, you know, in Canada, there was a real opportunity for Canadians to be a leader globally. And I saw this very similar to the ING Direct experience to bring this model to the world. Well, um, after nine months, uh, a lot of negative issues happened in the industry and some negative issues happened in the company that I was leading. Um, and that caused me and my family a, a lot of pain. I, I was, uh, you know, sort of wrongly uh, called out in the media. Um, I was, I, me and some of the other senior leaders were, were fired, which would have been my first experience with that. Um, now, fortunately, that has all resolved itself very publicly and all very much in my favor. Um, I think I've extrapolated the learnings from that. And I think I'm way better, way stronger um a person um but listen you know in hindsight um uh what did i wish that didn't happen of course it, it caused me and my family a lot of pain um um but boy am i a, a better stronger person one thing that i realized how rich i am is my friends and family um i didn't realize the army of people that love me around the world and uh i know it now more than ever which Wow. Couldn't be, it couldn't be a greater gift. You know, I had people, 
from 15 years ago that I worked with in the United States going, I know you, I got your back. I believe in you. And uh, boy, that's, I think we all know, you know, when you look at the last few years uh, in the world and most of many of the people in our lives is um, if, if you have that, I mean, you can, you can do anything. And so I think that was a, a great discovery for me. And I think therein lies the personal weology at its best, right? It's, it's the individual, it's the community. And when you have that philosophy and you embody it and you broker it in your, in your circles of, of friends and family and community, they rally at around you at the most important time. So thank you for sharing. That was, that was a great Pleasure. start. Um, just to just to wrap up, and I want to touch on this because you mentioned health a few times. So you were involved in Cine Health, and I, I was going to leave this as a time time permitting question. But health is such an important part of of every individual. So you were involved in Cine Health. How did you get involved in that particular project, and what do you envision health and and how do you envision health and business to be synonymous in the future? Yeah, so it was. Uh, so I was on the board of the foundation for Sinai Health, which is really Mount Sinai Hospital, Mount Sinai Foundation, as well as you know a variety of other things that they did. Uh, you know, for me and my wife, you know, we always chose, let's say, a larger charity uh, to be involved with, and that would always be time and. Uh, financial resources. And then we always chose a, a smaller one, right? Uh, so we chose a, a big and a small for just variety and impact and, and those types of things. But, you know, to be involved and start to understand the uh, health services ecosystem in Canada was amazing for me, you know, certainly the fundraising aspect of it, but also the operation of a hospital, the challenges of a hospital, uh, was was very, very eye-opening uh, for me. And I think I understand the challenges that we face every day. That being said, you know, as a leader, I, I still, again, like picking up on what you just last said about this we, uh, weology sort of framework. Um, I remember um, uh, an employee of, of mine when when I was at, uh, you know, Tangerine and he was in our treasury department and, I, and he worked so hard. He was so smart. I, I was so fond, I am so fond of him. And I remember him telling me about his health issues and his sleep issues. I and mean, he's a young man, right? And he blood pressure issues and all those types of things. And I remember like sitting there looking at him going, I won't say his name, just saying, listen, man, like you are fantastic. We love you here. You have nothing to worry about, but you, you know, you got to take care of your health. And if you need to go to bed early at night, or if you need to like, please take care of yourself because you're going to wake up one day, you're going to need to double bypass surgery before you're 50 and you're going to regret, you know, some of the choices you've made. And I think for me, it was the moment I realized that leaders really do have a role to play in creating the space and the freedom to make sure the balance is right between these really hardworking achievement oriented people. Um, but I certainly don't want to be responsible for someone's health going the wrong way because they wanted a promotion or because they believed in our vision so much that they sacrificed their personal or family life. So um, there's certainly some of the lessons I've learned along the way. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. Now I'm going to wrap up. How can people get a hold of you post-podcast? 
So I think the best way for, uh, for other than giving you my cell phone number and my home address is, uh, yeah, on, on LinkedIn. That's the place where I'm yeah, interacting perfect. with people uh, the most. So Peter Aceto, which is, uh, is pretty easily available on LinkedIn. And just provide a little comment that you saw me through here. Because I don't accept, uh, you know, I don't necessarily accept everyone because I want to make sure that's community is, you know, that I can, I'm really connected to it. Absolutely. So anybody who is really focused on uh, amazing workplace health and wellness and advancing the tech industry. We encourage you to share in Peter's thought processes here, maybe connect with him on LinkedIn. And then, you know, who knows, we might be uh, transforming the Vancouver finance industry before, before you know it. Peter, thanks for joining us on Canada's podcast. Yeah, it is a great pleasure. Uh, there's a wonderful opportunity and you have been so much fun and uh, such positive energy. So thank you so much for having me. And uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. Hopefully you and I can have a coffee in person as a new resident of uh, Vancouver. Awesome. Sounds great. Thanks, Peter. Thank you. Canada's podcast, the number one podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs.